everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CX Cast. As a reminder, this week is part two from last week on this series. We are answering the question, is paying employees for delivering good CX a bad idea? If you didn't learn the answer, that was on last week's episode. Check it out. The summary is that the answer is no, it is not a good idea to pay employees for CX because there can be many unintended consequences. And so for this week, with that in mind, we're answering the question, what is the right way to incentivize employees to deliver good experiences? Absolutely. The question to be asking, and I'm a little frustrated, honestly, because we still are getting asked, Maxime, by clients. Yeah, but what if we did the incentive this way? So they're not asking this question yet, by mm. and large. Is that fair to say, Maxi? Yeah, totally. And so what I would say is, what are we doing that at the margin, incrementally, day to day, makes it harder for employees to follow their intrinsic motivation and deliver a great customer experience? And so for me, the first thing to do is to say, what Barriers, roadblocks, hurdles can we remove that are in your way? And it often leads to a lot of pretty clear answers around, well, you actually don't know in your role how to contribute in an appropriate way to good customer experience delivery. So we're going to give you that information. We're going to clarify that for you. We're going to give your manager more information, more guidance about how to coach that behavior in you, both observing when you're doing it well and and giving you recognition and doing some redirects when they notice you're not doing the right things. We're going to make changes to processes and goals and systems that today dis sent you from delivering the right customer experience. And my favorite example of this was Hampton Inn discovered that hotel general managers at their top performing hotels greeted many more guests per day than general managers at average performing hotels greeted. What was the difference? The difference was the average hotel general managers were spending the morning breakfast rush period back in their office completing financial paperwork because Hampton Corporate had asked them to send it first thing in the day. The top performers knew to ignore that corporate guidance and go out to the lobby when the most guests were in one place at one time and greet them and and be the public face of the hotel. So now they can say to those average performers, not we're going to give you an incentive for greeting more guests, say, we're sorry for putting you in conflict between hospitality best practice and corporate compliance, and we're going to change that guideline. That's Mm -hmm. a different change case, too, to those individual employees because they don't feel like they're being blamed. They don't feel like they're being overburdened, like, you know, everything's on you to change, but rather you're changing something that was in my way. And now you've made it seem like it's not my fault. It was your fault. People want that kind of a change story. The interesting thing about that is that in many cases, when we talk about customer experience to firms, firms will tell us, but those employees already have 25 other things they have to do. Why should we ask them to do customer experience on top of that? And we don't, right? We ask them to do the things that they already do in a customer centric way. And we ask firms to take away tasks that are inherently not customer centric and that don't create better experiences. Yeah, that's very well said. So for the listeners that want to look a little bit more into the concept of motivation and the forces that help people actually change should totally look at what Daniel Kahneman, you know, the notable Nobel prize winner and behavioral economist said about his intellectual grandfather, as he calls him, Kurt Lewin. Kurt Lewin came up with this force field analysis. And it's about behaviors always being an equilibrium of the forces that drive the behavior and the forces that restrain the behavior. And in many cases, we react by trying to change people's behaviors with arguments threats and incentives when what we should be really focusing on is why are they not already behaving this way? Mm -hmm. So this is our broad picture, our recommendation for customer experience professionals. Don't think about how you can motivate people internally with money to do the things they should be doing, but ask the question, why aren't they already behaving in that way? What can we remove that is demotivating them 
today. Mm -hmm. And demotivation could be literally directly, oh, I don't feel like doing this. It's too hard. Or back to Maxie's earlier example of that cell phone carrier where I perceive that I'm under so much threat that I'll get fired that I can think of nothing but asking you to give me a good score, which is actually Mm -hmm. completely rational response to I'm going to get fired unless I get a nine or 10. Well, of course I should coach someone to give a nine or 10. So remove those types of real and perceived barriers and demotivators. That's the step. That's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. The other other thing I would say, you know, to reference another uh, researcher in this general area of better performance and and change, Anders Ericsson, who's um, sort of the motivation behind Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule. Anders Ericsson's written his own book, his own research on the topic. And it's, I think it does a much better job of summarizing his thinking, but the idea of deliberate practice, setting up a situation where employees believe that you're investing in them in terms of time and feedback and an environment where it's expected they need to spend time practicing, training, reviewing how they did and reviewing their performance and getting better at it over time. If you set up that we don't expect you to nail this every time perfectly, but that you will be getting better and better and better. It's a growth mindset situation then of, good, I get to improve at this and work at it. It's an actual real craft and skill back to the you know, motivating factor of I'm mastering something that's important and you care, you're investing in me as an individual. You're valuing me by giving me that opening to do that deliberate practice. Anders Eriksson has lots of proof points for that. I think one of the very impressive ones is surgeons, like the real top quality surgeons, the one that get better and better and better are the ones that prepare for their operations. And then they review the video afterwards and they check what they could have done better. Like the rest of the surgeons just stays an okay surgeon, but those are the top performing surgeons that do that. So it's about preparing for something, but also reviewing it and giving people a chance to review. Now, many, many people ask us, but how do we do this, right? And that's where it gets interesting and where we think a lot of change in how people learn will happen. So we see providers of micro learning, for example, that give you little segments of information in the moment when you have five minutes, 50 minutes of time and they show you, hey, you're, for example, if you're a contact center employee, your empathy score has gone down in the last two, three weeks. Here's a little snippet on how to be empathetic and how do you, how do customers perceive you to be more empathetic? But that's really interesting. And that can be a five minute, 10 minute exercise, not a classroom training sometime in the the beginning of the year. It's more real time, reflective, applicable Mm -hmm. feedback. One thing I think about when I hear this is that it's easier to attach incentives to specific metrics when the metrics exist. And so today you look at things like net promoter score and let's incent people against their score. Um, That example that you just talked about that implies that there's going to be real time tracking of a call center call and how that employee is acting. A result of that is that you're going to have more specific metrics Right. You were empathetic this percent of the time. You mm-hmm. talk too quickly this percent of the time. Right. And so I can only imagine a future when companies are going to want to use those as metrics that they mark performance you know against. You're so right. This is, I think, one of the key questions that companies should ask themselves, because incentivizing based on these metrics, again, would be a shortcut mm-hmm. like that you that you drive through yes. because you don't have to explain why is it important to have an empathy score above 35 percent making it up. Right. right? And um, managers that are not able to discern how they coach, that rely on those very hard metrics through performance evaluations because it's easier. So the companies that we see that have been successful with stepping away from these kind of incentives are only companies that have started to instill a customer-centric culture or there is some kind of customer-centric culture where the metrics become the thing that you check yourself against. Mm-hmm. Right? The thing that helps you figure out, are you getting better at what matters? And not the thing that is your goal in itself, but it's where the culture of the company will make all the difference. Right. Yeah, so these and, are for and, benchmarking and training, not yeah. for... And, and Jenny, that's exactly against. right. The ability to collect more fine-grained data is a gift 
in the right culture. It's a straw man to say we are not saying you you wouldn't measure the customer experience. You absolutely do and need to track it. And I think if you can track it in a more fine-grained way, but what you do with it, if you use it to give feedback to employees, to give them an opportunity to review the data and you know self-reflect and work with their manager to get better, if you use it to help them gauge their progress, Max, you offered that example before of, oh, your empathy score is down a couple of weeks. Here's a tip for how to get better. That's a totally different framing of we're giving you the information you need to make the improvements and the changes, not your empathy score has gone down the last two weeks. If you don't right. get it up, you're fired or you're not going to get your bonus. And we're not going to hold this against you. It's a totally different situation mm-hmm. of how we're using the same data to make better customer experience. And I hope okay. what comes across also here is that this is a management problem. This mm-hmm. is a problem of how a company is run and how from the top it trickles down. Mm-hmm. How do your meetings start? Do your meetings start to talk about certain metrics or do they start with what have you learned this week? What have you done better this week than last week? Like that's a completely different mindset. Yeah, and until you don't that. have that mindset, you can pretend not to not to care about the <laughs> metrics anymore, but um, pe- people are still going to talk about the metrics. All right, Maxi, Sam, thank you so much for joining us for this two-part series. Again, as a reminder, if you're interested to learn more, there's a link to the report, Why Paying Employees for Delivering Good CX is a Bad Idea, available in the notes. And there are also a few tips on how to wean off monetary incentives in the end of the report. Perfect. So listeners, check that out. Also, if you missed last week's episode, which explored why it is such a bad idea, please be sure to check that out. And thank you for joining us today. Bye for now. Glad you could join us for this week's episode of CX Cast. If you want to learn more about this week's topic, check out the notes section of the episode for some links to relevant research. And as always, you can email us at cxcast at forester.com with any questions or topic ideas for future episodes. And remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.